Today, we're going to do a review of a disappointing 1-1 draw against Newcastle at Goodison Park. And then we're going to move on to an absolute must-win versus Marco Silva's previous team, Watford, at Goodison Park on Monday night. What is up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Serving up the latest Everton news and stateside views. Let's kick things off. How's it going, everybody? Alex and James here, coming to you about a little over 24 hours after Everton's 1-1 draw with Newcastle. Alex, obviously a disappointing result, but besides disappointing, what's your one-word summary of the match? You gotta hit me with it, James, don't you? My <laughs> one word. One time. My one word summary of the match, other than disappointing, is going to be nervous. And I say that because for Evertonians out there, our hopes kind of been built up because of the fact that we were able to hit sixth in the table in the last couple of weeks. None of us in our wildest imaginations thought that that would happen or could happen this season. Now that we're here, Manchester United are struggling. Leicester are somewhat struggling. We're feeling like we could really keep the momentum going. We have a healthy squad. And so it felt as if Wednesday's match, yesterday's match was a must win. And we came away with one point against Newcastle. And it was just, you know, disappointing. I think that that's a fair assessment. My one word summary, and if you hyphenated it's one word, it's technically two words, but I would say trip up. This was a game that was there for the taking against a side that clearly has less quality than us. They came to Goodison Park and to their credit, they executed their game plan with perfection. We all kind of knew what they were going to try to do, which is come in, attack on the counter, sit back, get 11 men behind the ball and defend aggressively all over us, but sitting back and and just trying not to concede. And in a game like that, the first goal means everything. And we made the mistake of getting caught out as we have and has been a symptom of many of our downfalls this season, getting caught on the break. It's a good cross in, in a really, frankly, a quality finish from Solomon Rondon. But once that goal is scored, the pressure just immediately is square on our shoulders. Because if we had scored the first goal, then Newcastle some now have to come out and they have to try to equalize. And that leaves them exposed at the back and they can't do what they wanted to do. So because we allowed them to kind of sneak one past us early, it then put us on the back foot. And luckily we were able, because when I was watching it, I was thinking, look, if we don't get a goal by half, we're in big trouble because they're going to come out and just park the bus and do everything they can not to concede. And thankfully, corner goal drought is finally over with Richarlison, kind of a messy one, but counts all the same in the end, gets the goal. We go into halftime equal. So yeah, it, it was a trip up game, a game that was there for the taking in against a side that isn't very good point blank period but they came with a plan and they executed that plan and i think they deserve some credit for that right their plan they played a a 3-4-3 and this is something that 
you know, I kind of take solace in knowing or, or observing, observing, excuse me. So essentially their goal was they were going to sit in, especially as you said, after they scored the first goal and they were going to stifle any attack through the middle. Now, as we know, Everton get plenty of crosses into the box. It's part of how we how we get our fullbacks invested in that sort of thing. You know, Seamus and Lucas are both great crossers of the ball. But the issue is the fact that they then in turn played three center backs to stifle crosses into the box. We started Jenk Tosin, which you would think, okay. A, I thought that was exciting because I wanted to see him take it, get his chance and take it. B, I thought that it was probably a smart move because Richarlison's better on the left and Cenk would offer an outlet up top, but he was no match for three full center backs. And so what you saw happening is Gilfie was unable to operate it as freely as he normally does. They really packed it in. Their their fullbacks are extremely quick, so they were they were pretty good at nullifying attacks from the wings. And it proved to be a really difficult task for us. It's fair to say we didn't play up to the standard that we have come to expect this season. But it's been a recurring theme when teams come in and try to sit in against us at home. We really struggle to break them down. I thought that with Chen coming in, he might offer some more hold-up play. In coming out the gates, he was looking very hungry. He was looking to create chances. He had a couple shots early. And he, of course, had the beautiful gifted chance on that cross from Luca Dean that wasn't able to be finished. And then we also saw uh, Adam Lookman come on. So I was excited to see because of what he can offer dribbling and in tight spaces versus Theo Walcott. I thought that that might give us a little bit more creativity up front and perhaps the ability to pass through teams and break it down. Even though that hasn't been our strength this season, held out hope that we would be able to make things happen. It really just never came off for us. We had plenty of shots, which we have the capability to do, but we struggled to create real concrete chances to score. And with our, you know, Andre Gomez, probably our best performer on the night. Besides, uh, no, I'm going to say Andre Gomez, best performer on the night, looked really convincing on the ball, completely unable to be dispossessed. His ball retention is fantastic. His vision is great. His you know, ability to pick a pass from 40 yards and just put it on a dime is incredible. But it all really, once we got in around the you know, 20, 30 yards from Newcastle's goal, it's really hard to weave in and out of 10 outfield players who are set on one thing and one thing only, which is to prevent conceding a goal. And that's what we gifted them with the counterattack goal and going down. We gave them the opportunity to shut up shop, play for a point, which Going into that game was probably their best case scenario. I don't think there was any realistic chance that they were ever going to win, considering how much we really dominated possession. But then at, at the end of the day, they had just as many shots on goal as we did. And at the end of the game, it takes a fantastic Jordan Pickford save to kind of save us from an absolutely abysmal loss and zero points. So although we should be looking at probably four points from our last two games, and now we're looking at one, I just it's hard not to give Newcastle some credit. and. One thing that I saw that was really interesting from Marco Silva in his post-match comments, what he said was, of course, it was a tough match yesterday. What Newcastle did yesterday is their plan. And of course, we respect that. 
but they do it against Man United, against Man City, and against Chelsea too. So it means that they respect our team. Alex, your thoughts on that? That's exactly how I feel. And it's that's a that's a big positive because I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that teams in the past, even such as Newcastle, have done so. Maybe some some relegation level teams have have done so in in the league in the last couple of years, but generally speaking, we don't see that. Now we've been seeing some of the mid-table clubs that could in theory be competing with us with how tight the points are in that area. So it's nice to feel respected. And you see, as I've mentioned in a previous episode, the names on some of the on, on the some of the backs of the shirts that we have, some of the players that we have in the squad just kind of demand respect. And so it's a good feeling. At the end of the day, it's growing pains. But my overall analysis, we need more production from our wingers because we have Sigurdsson with six goals. We have Richarlison with seven. I want to say between all of our other attacking players combined, we have something like five or six goals. You're talking Bernard, Walcott, Lookman, Calvert-Lewin, and Jank Tosin. And that's just not good enough. Our finishing hasn't been on par. And to be fair, the Newcastle keeper, he had a couple fantastic saves. But either way, for future success, we're going to need more output from these other players. Yeah, in our crossing, just our, our overall play when we are given possession and when we get into that final third is just poor. We were hitting the first man on crosses constantly. Luca Dean did it quite a bit. He did have a couple good ones, but for the bulk of the game, it was over hit, under hit, just not good enough. And it's his first bad game in a blue shirt, really, so far this season. So he gets a flyer for that. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. A lot of people calling for, not to say that Seamus Coleman is done, but he's certainly not putting his haters to rest the way that I think a lot of fans hoped that he would rebound after he scored the other week where he, you know, had the celebration, put his hands up and everyone was saying, oh, you know, Coleman, here he is back to his former glory. But I didn't think he had a great game. I think it's a little premature to say that he's finished or any of that kind of talk because I think he actually played really well in the Derby. But you have to wonder in a system where the fullbacks see so much of the ball and are actually very important in facilitating our attack. Is he the player that we need in that position right now? I think the issue for Seamus is the fact that he's set such a high bar, such high expectations for himself over the years that when he's now on the decline in terms of his career, he just came off the double leg break. He's now playing in a new system. He's been captaining the side. I think that Part of it's he's lost some pace, which is understandable for all the reasons mentioned. And you also look at the players that he has on the right side with him. Him and Walcott have fantastic chemistry. But when I watched him and Lookman play, Lookman was very obviously told to cut in and kind of play maybe 10 yards in so that Coleman can offer the width, which we see all the time. And that's really imperative, especially if you're playing against essentially a five-back line when their fullbacks track back. Well, you could tell that they didn't have the chemistry built in order for Lookman to kind of find the space for Coleman to pass the ball and kind of give, do a give-and-go. Furthermore, their fullbacks are very pacey, so Coleman didn't have the pace by himself to kind of outrun them. So on the defensive side of things, Coleman's still perfect. You're not going to find a better right back that's going to come to Everton and do a better job on the defensive side of things. 
So I think we'll get another good couple years out of him. But I do like the Juan Basaka shouts because he's a fantastic player. I would love to see Juan Basaka come to our side. I suspect that he will be looking to make a move to. And don't forget that we still have John Joe Kenny, although apparently he's injured right now. I haven't, I don't know the specifics on that, but at some point, I'm sure that he'll have the opportunity to play games. He has captained the England youth team to a World Cup. So there's certainly some level of expectation that comes with that. I think that he could be a quality player for us in the years ahead. I do think that Seamus's time is starting to wind down. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that he is finished, but it is approaching the time where we have to consider where we want to go. And Seamus has been a staple at the club for a long time now, all the way back to the David Moyes era. And that's a long time to play, to be a starter in the Premier League and not many players can maintain that pace for so long. So I do think that that conversation is probably playing in the back of Marcel Brand's mind, if not Marco Silva's, when looking at his options. To kind of pivot here, you know, Michael Keane got some rest. So we saw the f- debut of the partnership between Kurt Zuma and Yeri Mina. That was really good. And it, it is comforting that after the struggles we had at center back last season, that we now have three rock solid center backs available to us for selection. They're more than rock solid, to be fair. Michael Keane's really stepped up. On top of that, Yeri Mina, he looks fantastic. I was afraid that people were getting caught up in the hype of him scoring three World Cup goals in a row for Colombia and the fact that he, you know, he was at Barcelona for all of six months, but didn't really get a look in. So I was very skeptical, but he's come in. He's looked borderline perfect in every match that he's played. He's a lot quicker than I expected a six foot five center half to be. And you can tell that he just enjoys being here. And so that's really important to me and I think pretty much everyone else. All right, James, let's move on to the Watford preview. We've got Watford coming to Goodison Park on Monday evening. How are you feeling? Well, after the result on Wednesday, it is imperative that we get a win this game. If we are to become the team that we want this season, and that would be to compete for the top six places, this is a must-have three points at home. Watford are a good side, and I think people were skeptical of how they would perform having lost Silva and they lost Richarlison, but they have a really good side. They can score goals and we're going to see a very different, I think a very different type of game than what we saw against Newcastle, because I think Watford are going to try to come and play us straight up. I agree with you completely. They're going to come to play. And I think that plays to our strengths. It's just kind of going to depend on how our players can react physically and how much rotation we implement. First, let's talk about, before we get into stats and and lineup talk, let's talk about the history between the clubs, recent, very recent history. So Marco Silva was at Watford last season. Everton approached him before they hired Sam Allardyce. Watford decided to send out a childish public announcement saying that another Premier League club has turned the head of their manager. He ends up getting fired in February. Lo and behold, he comes to Everton in June. We then pay a large fee for Charlison, although I don't think anyone's worried about that anymore. Even the national media might add. And so we've got a really spicy match coming up, don't you think? Yeah, I'm sure the Watford fans that are coming to Goodison will be giving Silva 
an earful on the sideline, on the touchline. It is going to be probably more meaningful for the Watford fans and for Marco Silva and pr- probably Rich Arlison than it will be for the clubs as a whole because the, you know Watford and Everton historically are just you know different levels of success. But we meet now. I don't know what I don't know if there's animosity between the clubs at, on a fan level. I think the administration and the people who run the club, I'm sure that Watford aren't pleased. But if you look at the way things played out, I don't know if Watford fans are bitter, but we we approached him. We offered to pay compensation. They turned us down. Whether Silva's head was really turned and how much that affected his performance, we'll never really be able to quantify or know. But the fact of the fact remains that a few months later, they had a horrendous dip in form and they sacked him and we picked him up. And now they're somehow demanding that you know they just will not let this go. They want an inquiry. They want an investigation. They want all this. Everton are ready to put this to bed and have been for some time. Where we got our manager, we got our man. They got their manager and they came out this season flying. And maybe that's dissipated a little bit at this point, but they do have a very good side and they have some really good players, some of which we may be in for again uh, come January or come the summer, specifically Decore, because I know that that's a player that Silva really likes. But it'll be a good atmosphere. And uh, I know that Silva will certainly want to win this game. So on the Ducore point, I absolutely pray that we do not sign him. I have two reasons. Reason number one, I don't rate him. I don't think that he's that fantastic, and I know that he will not be an upgrade to any of our starting midfield. Reason B, I don't remember if I said one or A. Either way. Either way, Ducore had a comment, I believe over the summer, when he was asked by the press if Everton had approached him. And his response was, he actually said this. He said, why would I move to a club that's not bigger than Watford? Shots fired. Honestly, nice sound effect, James. And so I'm sitting here thinking, I guess just a lot of the Everton fans missed that comment because it's offhanded. It's completely asinine. And the guy's not any better than what we have. Ghana, Gomez, I'd rather play Tom Davies. Benny Beningami. He has, he has minutes that he could definitely gain. So it's a sore subject for me, James. Yeah, I, I honestly, I haven't watched a ton of Ducore. What I've seen of him, he looks like a relatively good player and a player, whether he's up to our standard, of course, Marco Silva rates him because he brought him to Watford. Whether he thinks he's ready to, to make that next step up, I don't know. I will say that what you just said about Ducore, you know, the comments aside, but regarding his quality, I said similar things about Richarlison and a lot of the media said the exact same thing where he's not very good. He Richarlison had concerns about his consistency. And so if we were to try to get him, I don't want to get him just because I know that we're going to have to pay over the moon for him like we did with Richarlison. Hindsight, it was totally worth it. But that risk and just to kind of continue to leech off Wofford, I, I would think and hope that Marcel Brands is looking down different avenues for for players to bring in, probably from outside of the Premier League. Right. So let's move on to a couple stats here, James. We've only played Watford 12 times at Goodison Park. We won 11 and we drew once. Now, the last league meeting against Watford and Everton was February this year, and we lost. Now, keep in mind that Watford have never beaten us back-to-back. If you look at the table, 
were relatively close. They're three points behind us, so this type of game could... You know, the table's really tight. There's only six points separating us from Newcastle at the moment. A massive goal difference, but points-wise. And so this will be a game that they'll they'll be up for. I agree with your point earlier that if Wofford do try to come and play like I expect, that it does play to our strengths, depending on the lineup we pick. Any team that wants to attack will leave openings in their defense that we have strengths that can exploit those those gaps. And really, this is going to be a tight game. And this, while it's a game we should win and we all hope we win, and some say it's a must win, in a way it is. So it's going to be tough. And considering the squad rotation that we're going, may or may not make, Alex, I don't know, what's your expectation for what Silva will roll with on Monday? So I don't know if any of you were counting, but I believe Newcastle had somewhere around 18 fouls on Wednesday, yesterday. There were quite a few hacks at Lucas Dean. I'm, I want to say on defense, we're going to see Leighton Baines come in because Lucas just needs a rest. Just give him some time, let him ice up some bruises and stuff like that. And then I think that we're going to see Yerry Mina come out for Michael Keane and reforge the Keane and Zuma partnership. I like to think that Coleman is going to stay on the right-hand side because we don't really want to change three out of four, but it's about time that we start rotating some of these guys. I don't disagree. I think the Leighton Bain shout's interesting. Dean was getting hacked and he was falling to the ground and he looked like he was in some pain. He soldiered through it, but that would be a good shout. And and people kind of forget about, not forget, you know what I mean? Because Dean has been so good, it's almost put Baines out of people's minds, but he's still, by all indications, a very capable Premier League left back. My concern is that if we continue to make changes on top of the changes that we made last game, we've seen that when we make multiple changes, it really breaks up the chemistry that we've started to develop as a side. And I think that's partially what led to the draw against Newcastle was, and it wasn't even a lot of changes, it was three changes, but it did kind of throw everyone out of sync. These players have not played as much together and they don't have quite the read that the solid, you know, when we had four or five games of the same lineup, I think that we lose something when we try to make too many changes, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Lane Baines come in. I think it's probably time I agree that that Dean gets some rest. Uh, What about the midfield? I'm very conflicted, James, because we thought there might have been changes. I personally called for two in Newcastle. We saw no changes. Sigurdsson came out early, but the other two, Ghana and Gomez, stayed. We may see one change, and if we do, I think it'll be Ghana or Gomez for Davies, but I'm not really sure. I can't decide. I think this would be a good game to get Tom Davies in. We need Ghana in, I think. I think it's what he offers us winning the ball back and his tenacity off the ball. We do need him. And I don't think there's any way that that Gomez can get dropped after what we've seen out of him so far. He looks like the heartbeat of the team, the player that kind of ties everything together. I'm running out of superlatives for him. He's everything we wanted in a midfield forever. I think he's undroppable unless it's purely for injury concerns or fatigue. So do you think at least, is it fair to say that Sigurdsson may stay? I think Sigurdsson could stay. I think if anyone makes way, I think it's I think it's Sigurdsson because I don't think that he played very well against Newcastle. I think it's possible that we could see Sigurdsson sit and maybe Bernard come in in that 10 role. We saw him shift there at times at the end of the Newcastle game. We've yet to see what he can do. There's been... It's been said that that's his best position and that while he can play on the wing, he does thrive playing centrally, getting players involved. I'd be curious to see it. He's small. He's quick. He's got good vision. 
if he can figure out how to not slip every five seconds, we've got a real player on our hands. That's no uh, joke. It's crazy. It's really crazy how much he slipped because you don't players slip and it happens, but it's like been consistent now for three or four games where he gets in and, and, and it's not in a tight space when he's trying to make something come off. That's tricky. It's literally like dribbling in space, trying to do a flick or something and, and he just will completely lose his footing. But that aside, I think that could be a shout to have Bernard come in. I actually wouldn't be surprised to see Chen keep his spot moving, kind of moving forward to the, to the front line. What do you see going for the front three? I'd kind of like to see Calvert-Lewin get the start up top, but something that it didn't seem Twitter agreed with, Everton Twitter, I thought that Jink Tosin had a, had a pretty decent match for what he was given. There was a nice cross in from the left-hand side. He did fantastic to be able to get on the end of it. It was a really good save from the Newcastle keeper. Otherwise, something that's very underrated by Jink is his hold-up play and his passing. He has a really good eye for a pass, whether you believe it or not. He's created two or three assists, I think just two, since he lost his place after just a couple weeks. And so it's a fair shout, and I'm definitely not opposed to it. Now, I thought Lookman had a really good game. It, it was, it was kind of low-key, and he needs to form kind of a partnership with Seamus Coleman. But I think Nook Lookman will retain his place on the right-hand side. The big question mark is the left-hand side and whether or not, you know, Bernard comes into the 10 because Richarlison probably needs somewhat of a break. Bernard got his break. And so, you know, Calvert-Lewin can play on the wing too. And he could offer an aerial threat, kind of some hold-up play with Jenk up there. So it'll, it'll be kind of interesting. What do you think about the left-hand side? And do you think Lookman will retain his place? Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me to see Silva revert back to this lineup that we've seen working, which is Bernard on the left or Charleston up top, and then even put, put Walcott back in. I think it'd be a bit unfair on Lookman. He didn't have his best game, but it, our entire front line was not clicking. And it's just it's just hard because the strengths that we have as a team, Newcastle set out to nullify that, and they did so very effectively. Against a team like Watford, the pace, in an ideal world, I would see Bernard at the 10, Richarlison on the left, Chenk in the middle, and then keep Lookman on the right. I think Richarlison plays best when he's on the left. I think Lookman deserves another go because it will give him some chance to develop a rhythm uh, in the side and get a feel for things. And this is also the type of game, again, where he's going to have more space to create and do what he does best, which is take the ball, dribble past players, and pick a pass. And so that that's my expectation. But again, it wouldn't surprise me just to see us revert back to tried and true what's worked for us so far and keep it the same could happen my only my only personal quarry with that would be bernard's had some games in walcott started pretty much the entire season and he has nothing to show for it he does a fantastic job linking up with coleman and he gets himself in fantastic positions sometimes his decision making is iffy but he hasn't been finishing his chances that he creates himself even and it's frustrating because the season before he moved to Everton, when he was with Arsenal, he scored, I believe, 18 goals in all competitions. And so you kind of expect him to be quite clinical, but it seems like he left his shooting boots with the rest of the wingers. Yeah, we really just need more production offensively from our entire front line because, well, they have clicked really well. The goals just aren't coming. The chances are coming, but the finishing's not. And there was that pass against Newcastle the through ball that Jordan Pickford put right onto Walcott. And it was just, I was like, ah, oh, it's Walcott though. 
And I just knew as soon as I saw that it was going to him that he wasn't going to be able to score it because that's the expectation that he set with his performances the last few games. I just think that it's it's really worth giving Lookman some a couple more games because Walcott's just not doing it. it, just flat out not doing it. Lookman didn't exactly light it up against Newcastle, but he's a youth prospect. He's still very young. He's got a much higher ceiling to reach than Theo Walcott does. And I, I think we should just give it a go. Let Lookman loose. The triple L, let him loose. Let him do what he does best. And I think with Chenk in the middle, who can win headers better than probably Richarlison can, we should be looking to make a lot of crosses. And, and as you said, Chenk did have that only one really good chance. So it's hard to fault him for not scoring when he's not getting much service. I think with some better service, his he can finish. It's hard because I've been kind of flip-flopping on Chenk because just two episodes ago, I was saying maybe he's not up to our standards. But he does give us a different option, different profile. And who knows, at some point it's just going to click. We're going to find something that works really well. And I think that there's a few different variations that we could do. All right, James. So what is your score prediction going to be for Everton versus Watford Monday night at Goodison Park? Definitely got ahead of myself last episode predicting a 3-0 win. I'm going to be a little more pragmatic this time. And I'm going to say 2-1 Everton, still predicting a win, but a much closer affair. Man, that is exactly what I was going to say. I'm going to go with a 2-1 win as well. I think that it's going to be, I think Everton are going to score first. Watford going to tie it up and we're going to have to look for the winner. But it's going to be a more entertaining match than Newcastle was. And I think it'll be pretty chippy. Thanks so much for tuning into the American Toffee Podcast. It is available on all major platforms. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. That would help us out a ton. And follow us on Twitter as well, at USA Toffee Pod. Until next time, come on you blues.